it reflects a couple of thoughts that several theologians and even early church fathers had about the book of Psalms, but I also think relates specifically to Psalm 33. And C.S. Lewis said this, the most valuable thing the, Psalm, uh, the Psalms do for me is to express the same delight in God which made David dance. And Ambrose said this, who was an early church father, by the way, the Psalms are the voices of the church. Today, church, I hope we'll have some time, as we've already experienced before, time to delight, time to sing, time to dance, that the voices that we express here would rise to God himself and he would be pleased. Amen? What we do here might seem ordinary, but it is anything but ordinary. What we do here in this place, what we do here in this time, the songs that we have just sung, the prayers that we have just prayed, the message that we are going to hear this morning, this is no ordinary thing, even though it seems anything but ordinary. What we are doing has incredible reach well beyond the physical world in which we now experience, which we now know, and it has reaches far beyond that to the highest of heavens, well beyond anything that we could see, anything that we may be fully aware of. It is shaking things well beyond what we could ever possibly imagine because the worship of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ isn't just limited, isn't just limited to the space-time matter that we are living in right now. It goes far beyond that. It goes far beyond that. Which is why when we gather here on Sunday mornings like this, it is no ordinary thing at all. No ordinary thing at all. I titled today's message, Why I Sing. I don't know about you. Do you like to sing? I kind of like to sing, right? Even those of us who may say, I don't like to sing. We probably like to sing when no one else is around, right? We might like to sing in the shower. We might like to sing in our cars on the way to and back from work or wherever we're running. We might, I, I, I remember a group of guys, we were in a, a study together, and there were guys who would purposely play worship songs with the windows rolled down blaring because they saw that not only as just a form of praising God, but also as a form of just evangelism to the cars next to them. And then there are the rest of us, and I, I include myself in the us, where I roll the windows up when I'm coming up to a stop sign or some sort of stoplight, and there's a car next to me with their window down because I don't want, mm, I'll sing in private. Thank you very much. I'll sing in, I raise my hands on the inside kind of thing, right? I raise my hands on the inside. And so it's just, it's just this beautiful thing. But here's the reality. There are times, I think, when we cannot help it but sing. Maybe it's a birth of a child, and we've just got to celebrate that, right? We have to just sing. Maybe it was putting kids down to bed, and finally we get to have time to ourselves, and we can just sing, right? I, I did the, the most of the time I put my kids to bed, and I had specific songs that I would sing to each and every, well, to, to the two girls and then to, to Steve. And um, they could even tell you today what, what were the specific songs I sang. And they were great songs, but part of it was singing like, yes, you're going to bed, you're going to bed. <laughs> kind of singing, right? Celebration kind of thing. Um, some time alone, finally. Um, 
And so there are times when it's just absolutely appropriate to sing. Today, in the psalm we are going to look at, is one of those times when it is appropriate for us to sing. Even if we don't like to. This morning, we're going to look at Psalm 33, and it's a very interesting psalm. Because Psalm 33 is one of the few psalms that doesn't have a title to it. So therefore, it's probably in many ways connected to the psalm before it, which is Psalm 32, which does have a title for it. And guess what the title is? It says this. By David, this is Psalm 32, a well-written song. <laughs> that's it. If that's a well-written song, this is a long song. And it is. I mean, if you take Psalm 32 and Psalm 33... Together, if my math is correct, you have 33 verses right there. 33 verses. There are no choruses. It is straight verses. One after another. And so we have to possibly assume that because there is no title to Psalm 33, it is connected to Psalm 32, and it is one ginormous song to be sung, to be praised, to, to, to just sing out to God. And the reason why David does this is in Psalm 32, he has been forgiven of his sins. He has, he has obviously sinned. We don't know exactly know what the sin is, but he says things, and I don't have it up on the screen for you, but I'm going to read it anyways. Trust me, it's in the Bible. It says this, verse 5 of 32. Then I confessed my sin. I no longer covered up my wrongdoing. I said, I will confess my rebellious acts to the Lord. And guess what? And then you forgave my sins. I don't know about you, but that's a reason to sing. That is a reason to sing because God forgave our sin. And David, in response, says, guess what? I am going to sing because I could have come before you, confessed my sins, and you would have been in your rights to just annihilate me, to punish me, to judge me, as someone who is unworthy of being in your presence. But instead, you did the opposite. You forgave me. You restored me. You renewed me. And now, all of a sudden now, I am going to sing to you. It is no wonder then, as we look at the opening verses of Psalm 33, David writes the following. You godly ones, by the way, you godly ones is very specific. Those who know of what David has just experienced, chances are those of us have also experienced. It wasn't an invitation just to anyone, but specifically to the godly ones. Those who know of God's mercy, that like David, have sinned and been forgiven. He says this, shout for joy because of the Lord. It is appropriate, absolutely appropriate that we do this, to offer him praise. Give thanks to the Lord with the harp. Sing to him to the accompaniment of ten-stringed instrument. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully as you shout out your praises to him. Church, if there was ever a doubt as to why we sing in church, let us just be very honest from the outset. We sing because David and the Bible tells us to do so. Even if we don't want to. Even if we don't like it. But I hope at some point we do, because like David, 
Here he was encountering God, and instead of dying in front of him, as oftentimes many Jewish people believed, that if you ever saw the face of God, and if you read the Old Testament, so many examples of people who saw the face of God, and the first thing they say is, oh God, I love you, I'm glad you showed up, I'm glad your face, that is not the first thing they said. Do you know what they would say? Oh, please turn your way, I, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I just saw your face and I'm going to die. Moses, when he wanted to see God, all that God could offer him was to say, Moses, I'm going to cover you, and the only thing you can see is me walking away from you. The only thing you see is my backside. That's it. Because if you were to look at me face to face, you would not survive it. Think about that. We serve a God that if we were to see him in all of his glory, we couldn't survive it. And need I say, let me give you another example, when the Israelites were finally taken out of Egypt and they were brought to Mount Sinai, and God says, finally I'm going to reveal myself to my people. And Moses tells the people, get ready. Get ready. Consecrate yourselves. Purify yourselves. Get ready. God is going to show up, and you're going to finally see the God whom rescued you from Egypt. And what happens when God shows up? Does he show up as a lamb? Trotting along in the fields. You know, wonderful, beautiful. Oh, look at that, cute little lamb. Does he come along as a lion? You know, roaring and all that kind of stuff. No, he doesn't do that. You know how he shows up? He shows up like a volcano, thunder and lightning, loud blasts of trumpets and all this kind of stuff. The earth is shaking and the people, rightly so, are freaked out. And they told Moses, we're not going to do that again. Tell you what, you go see God. And you come back and tell us what he said, and that's good enough for us. Right? I mean, that's, that's what it could be like in God's presence. And here David is in God's presence, and instead of dying, he is actually made alive. And instead of facing God's wrath, he was forgiven. Instead of judgment, he received mercy. No wonder David says in the opening verses of this psalm, praise him, honor him sing songs to him. His story, church, is our story. As he has sinned, we also have sinned. And as he has been forgiven, we also have been forgiven. So I want to do this this morning. Let's sing. Let's sing, and let's sing as people who know we have been forgiven. Let's sing as people who have been in the presence of God and instead of dying, have been made alive. Instead of being judged, have received mercy. Instead of being tossed out, we have been welcomed in. Let's sing with that in mind, church. Amen? We're going to do that now. Let's stand and let's sing. There's a reason why the worship team stayed up here. So let's do that. So that's not the only reason that we sing. Um, I want to just share this morning two additional reasons on why I sing. Why I sing to God. Even if I don't want to, even if I don't necessarily like to, even if I don't sound good doing it, why do I sing? And there's only two things I want to share with you this morning in addition to the one reason I just shared with you. And the second reason why I sing is this. 
I sing because I become immersed in God's word. I sing because I become immersed in God's word. Psalm 33, beginning with verse 4, says this. Paul, or rather, um, David writes the following. For the Lord's decrees are just, and everything he does is fair. He promotes equity and justice. The Lord's faithfulness extends throughout the earth. By the Lord's decree, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all the starry hosts. He piles up the water of the sea. He puts the oceans in storehouses. Let the whole earth fear the Lord. Let all who live in the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came into existence. He issued the decree and it stood firm. The Lord frustrates the decisions of the nations. He nullifies the plans of peoples. The Lord's decisions stand forever. His plans abide throughout the ages. How blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen to be his special possession. All through these verses here that David writes is all about being immersed in God's word. In other words, that word there, decree, that were mentioned several times, that Hebrew word really can mean word as well. In other words, David is acknowledging that singing praises, that singing to the Lord immerses him and us as well into God's word, that we become more aware of what God is saying, that we become more aware of what God's will is because we immerse ourselves in God's word. And not only in his written word, church, but also in Jesus Christ. We become more aware and understand more, hopefully, about who Jesus Christ is. And if you doubt me, let me just share with you some of the passages of Scripture that were covered in the songs we have sung thus far. For instance, yours will be the first one we started off with this morning, Acts 4.12. Forever, Isaiah 46-8. God so loved, John 3.16. Okay, don't, don't hurt yourselves. It's pretty easy. Pretty simple here. Okay, John, shout to the Lord. Psalm 96. Darlene Check, who wrote that, that, that song, she shared apparently that she was inspired after reading Psalm 96. It just flowed from her. Everlasting God, Isaiah 40. Awesome God. Oh, that's a whole bunch of them. I'll just give you two. Exodus 19, 16. Uh, Exodus 20, 18. Psalm 136. How great thou art, Psalm 145, verses 1 through 3. How great is our God, rather, Psalm 145. In other words, just in the time we have been together, more scripture has been covered in the singing of the songs than will be covered in my message today. You might actually get more out of the singing of the songs than out of the message. That was not an amen moment. That was not an amen moment. <laughs> I knew it was coming, though. I knew when I put this down, I knew someone, and I actually pictured the person who was probably going to say it, and it came true. <laughs> Premonition? No familiarity. Okay? It's been done, done before. I, I, I want to share with you, I realize that there have been, for lack of a better phrase, worship wars that have been conducted in the church. And by the way, can I just be, not, not as though I've been dishonest before that. I always say that. I mean, 
whenever I say, can I be honest with you? It's like, have you been dishonest all the way before? No, I haven't. Let me just get more real. How about, how about that? If that is our biggest complaint, church, that we are arguing over worship songs, how blessed are we? How blessed are we? If our biggest complaint is to talk about and argue about what version of the Bible is the correct version, which, by the way, there is none. Every version has pros and cons to it. Every version. And if our, if all of a sudden, is that what we get to argue about? How blessed are we? How blessed are we? There are Christians in the world today that would just love to be able to read a Bible. I don't care what version it is. Just get me a Bible. I don't care. If that's our biggest complaint, how blessed, how, how blessed are we as a church to be able to say and have the freedom and the capacity even to be able to argue about what is worship songs and what are not worship songs. And I realize that we all have our opinions, our likes, our dislikes. I get it. There are some of us who have grown up in the church for many years and, and we loved the hymns that were sung as our growing up years in those places, right? We love those hymns and hymns are wonderful. They're beautiful. They are just filled with so much beauty and, and experience in scripture. It is just very, very, no wonder they have lasted for years and years and years and years and years. They are wonderful things, right? And, and, and I know that there are those of us who love the contemporary stuff, who love the more contemporary music. We love 7-Eleven songs. You know what I mean by that? Same seven verses repeated 11 times, right? We love that stuff. And that's wonderful. And in fact, I love what, what David says here at the beginning. He, did you catch that in verse 3? Sing to him a new song. That is so important. Sometimes, not sometimes, every generation has created new songs to God. And that's appropriate. And that's good. Do you know why? Because God has shown up in different ways at different times to different people and those experiences ought to be shared and written down and sung. It's a beautiful thing, church, when we can do this. And by the way, we, no matter what, in all the songs that we have been singing, certainly here at Summit Ridge, I can say this. They have all been rooted in Scripture. All of them. I call it the Karate Kid effect. Right? You, you seen the movie Karate Kid? Remember the whole movie where Daniel wants to go learn karate and so Mr. Miyagi teaches him karate but he doesn't teach him in the way that Daniel thinks he ought to be taught karate. In other words, he has to wax the cars, paint the fence, sand the floor. Remember that? And then one evening, he, yeah, you, all of you are doing the motions. Um, <laughs> that's wonderful. And then one evening, Daniel has had it and he wants to have this all out with Mr. Miyagi. And Mr. Miyagi finally says, okay, let's have it out. And he has him do the moves of sanding the floor and painting the fence and waxing the cars. And what did Daniel realize? He was learning karate. He was learning karate and didn't realize it. Church, let me share with you today. You have learned scripture and you may not have realized it in the singing of these songs. You have been immersed in God's word before I ever came up here to this platform to share out of God's word. Think about that. Think about that. You have known and been exposed to more scripture than I have exposed you to thus far. In other words, Deborah is probably more holier than I am. 
<laughs> I mean, that's, I've said this before and I'll say it again. Next to the senior pastor, the next most influential person in the church is the worship pastor. There is no other person who has greater formation of a church body outside of the senior pastor than the worship pastor does. Because through worship, through the singing of songs, we become immersed in God's word. If some of you didn't have time to spend in God's word this week, I understand that. It's okay. Guess what? Today, I hope you got your fill. And we're not done. And we're not done. We learn more about God's word by singing songs of praises to him than perhaps any other mechanism out there. We just may not always realize it. And whether or not you know this, you will walk out of this place having been immersed in God's word, now drenched in God's word, walking out of this place. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Colossians 3.16 affirms this, by the way. Colossians 3.16 says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Did you catch that? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How do we do this? How do we, how do we take God's word and indwell it within us? Well, Paul gives us some ways. Teaching, obviously most obvious, what's happening right now. Exhorting one another, encouraging one another, meeting with one another, helping one another, journeying with each other. With all wisdom and singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, all with grace in your hearts to God. We sing here at Summit Ridge, and Christians sing in general all across this world in worship services, not because it's something we ought to do because everyone else is doing it. We do it because it is called upon by God through his word to do so because one of the ways that we can, in singing, we become immersed in his word. And for those of us who don't like repetition, why do we have to sing the same verses over and over and over and over again? Let me just encourage you. The Bible does the same thing. Have you ever read Proverbs? You should read it. Repetition is key. Have you read the Gospels? I've seen this story before. There's a story of a pastor. I don't know if these stories are true, but I tell them anyways. They're good stories. Um, there was a pastor who started at a church. And he preached a message on Sunday. It was a good message. And the people loved it and all that kind of stuff. Hey, great, great job, preacher. You know, walking out the door and all that kind of stuff. The next Sunday, they come back, worship. He preaches the same message again. People are like, hmm, well, maybe you didn't have time to prepare this week. Maybe this was an off week, whatever it else. Still a good message, right? They left, come back to the next Sunday, worship. He preaches the same message. People are like, what? Now he's just getting lazy. Is that it? He just has, my grandfather said, a preacher has one good message. By the way, I think I passed that a long time ago, and you will never know it. Um, yeah, the people are like, he's getting lazy. Finally, they, they showed up on the fourth Sunday. Praise, worship, all that kind of stuff. He preaches the same message again. Finally, people say, okay, what's up? And as they're walking out, greeting, the pastor's greeting him, and says, finally someone stops and says, pastor, you have preached the same message four weeks in a row. What's up? And he simply responded by saying, when you get this down, I'll preach a different one. 
Sometimes, church, you might have been in church for years and years and years and years, and you hear the same stories over and over and over again. And you might be thinking, is there anything else? Let me tell you what, when you get these down, we can move on to something different. Scripture is intentional about repetition, repeating things over and over and over and over and over again, all the time. Oh, and let me just say this, by basis, and this is why I love preaching through books as opposed to doing topical sermons, not, not that I find anything wrong with topical preaching, but you might think, depending upon what churches you might in, that the only thing that the Bible talks about is sex, drugs, and money. No. No. It doesn't talk exclusively about those things or marriage or anything else. In fact, those are very, very small things in terms of the breadth of Scripture. Scripture teaches much, much more than that. But it's important for us to understand that the way that this is designed is repetition. That's it. Because it's meant to be taught. How many of you learned your multiplication tables by repetition? Being able to review that over and over and over and over again. When I was in fourth grade, we had to learn multiplication tables. And our teacher, he was fantastic. I still, to this day, and I'll explain this in just a second, um, have a bunny. I'll explain that bunny in just a second. But when we learned our multiplication table, he did pottery for, for just a side thing. We got to make a pottery bear piggy bank. And we got to, you know, color it, whatever. His wife would do all the details of the eyes and everything else. They would fire it up, and then we'd get it back, all glazed and wonderful, and he'd put the first penny in for us. We did bunnies as well for Easter. I still have that bunny to this day. It's in my house on a shelf. My little ceramic bunny. Made that in fourth grade. But I had to learn those multiplication tables in order to get that bare piggy bank. And I did, and the only way I could learn it was repetition, over and over, practice, practice, practice. Bible repeats itself for that very same reason. And when we sing songs that repeat themselves, amen. I need to remember this. I hope I'm singing that line throughout the week as a reminder of who God is and who I am. I'm immersed in his word. Martin Luther said this, feelings come and go, and feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the word of God. Naught else is worth believing. Though all my heart should feel condemned for want of some sweet token, there is one greater than my heart whose word cannot be broken. I'll trust in God's unchanging word till soul and body sever. For though all things shall pass away, his word shall stand forever. When we sing, we immerse ourselves in his word the word that stands forever. Now, there's a second reason, and it's this, of why I sing. I sing because God knows me and still loves me. God knows me and still loves me. Listen to what David writes here, starting with uh, verse 13. He says this, The Lord watches from heaven. He sees all people, from the place where he lives, he looks carefully at all the earth's inhabitants. He is the one who forms every human heart and takes note of all their actions. Kind of like uh, Santa Claus, right? Got a checklist. Who's, uh, who's, who's good and who's not, right? 
And he goes on and he says this, no king is delivered by his vast army. A warrior is not saved by his great might. A horse disappoints those who trust in it for victory. Despite its great strength, it cannot deliver. Look, the Lord takes notice of his loyal followers, those who wait for him to demonstrate his faithfulness by saving their lives from death and sustaining them during times of famine. Man, I sing because God knows me and still loves me. I mean, the Bible shares, even in Psalms, of the fact that God, he knit me in my mother's womb. He knit all of us in our mother's wombs. He knew us intimately and still knows us intimately before we even knew ourselves. In fact, he still knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows the depths of our sin better than we know the depths of our own sin. He knows the depths of our attitudes and our thoughts before we even know the depths of our attitudes and our thoughts. He knows us, and he still loves us. He knows us, and he still loves us. I mean, this is what David is writing. I mean, here is God looking at us, taking note. And by the way, we know this as Christians, that one day we will stand before God to give an account of how we lived. And we know that without Jesus Christ, that's going to be a very scary place to be. I've said this before and I'll say it again. For those of us who want God's judgment to come, be careful because he judges his own first before he judges anyone else. He judges his own house before he judges anyone outside of it. And so all of a sudden now, David is aware of this and he's, he, he, see, he says, there is nothing that happens on this planet. There's nothing that happens in this universe. There's nothing that happens in us that God is not aware of. God is aware of it all. It does not escape his attention. And instead of judging us, instead of condemning us, instead of saying, you are not welcomed in my presence, instead of doing any of those things, what he instead does is he welcomes us, forgives us, restores us, redeems us, rescues us, etc 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 he knows me and he still loves me are you aware you're not aware of my sin of how many just even this morning i'm not we are so good at sinning that there are sins i commit that i'm not even aware of but i've still done them unaware sins i am so good at sinning i don't even know how many times i've already sinned this morning i don't know I know I've sinned. I just am not fully aware of it. And yet, I still get to be in God's presence this morning with all of you. Perfect, wonderful, holy people. It's a beautiful thing. Beautiful, beautiful thing. And here, Paul, or rather David, just writes this beautiful stuff and says, guess what? Instead of turning to stuff that we think can save us, we get to turn to God who can actually save us. Instead of turning to things like horses and all that kind of stuff, we can actually turn to God himself who actually saves us. King Solomon, when he was dedicating the temple, offered a prayer that I think in many ways captures the essence of what David writes in these last verses of Psalm 33 that we just looked at. And in that prayer... Solomon offers the following out of 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 38 through 40. This is just a little snippet of his prayer that he offers. He says this, When all your people, Israel, pray and ask for help, 
as they acknowledged their pain and spread out their hands toward his temple. Then listen from your heavenly dwelling place. Forgive their sin and act favorably toward each one based on your evaluation of his motives. Indeed, you are the only one who can correctly evaluate the motives of all people. Then they will obey you throughout their lifetime as they live on the land you gave to our ancestors. Imagine that. We get to come before God and we get to ask for forgiveness. And God says, I know. I know. I know what you've done. And I forgive you. I know what it is that you have said to that person. I know what it is that you did to that other person. I know what it is that's in your heart. I know the attitudes that you have towards those group, those group of people. And I know it's wrong. And I know you know it's wrong. And I forgive you. I forgive you. And not only that, I will rescue you. I will redeem you. I will restore you. What a beautiful way and a beautiful reason for us to sing. So what do we do in response? Well, David answers that question too, I think. Here's what we do in response. David writes at the end of this psalm. In all of this, for our reasons to sing, in all of the ways in which God has rescued us and forgives us and will one day completely restore us, but we're not to that day yet, what do we do? David writes, we wait for the Lord. He is our deliverer and shield. For our hearts rejoice in him, for we trust in his holy name. May we experience your faithfulness, O Lord, for we wait for you. So what do we do until we are fully restored in God's presence? We wait and worship. We wait and worship. We wait and worship. We wait and worship. That's what we do. That's what we, now, now, how many of us love to wait? How many of us love to wait? Amazon makes it really hard to wait. <laughs> they got same-day delivery. I don't have to wait. They were actually going to experience with, ex experiment with drones to drop packages off for people who couldn't wait even an hour. I don't like to wait. One of the hardest things, I think, as a believer, one of the hardest things for me as a follower of Jesus Christ is right here, these last three verses. Wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. I don't like to wait. Not even Jesus' disciples liked to wait. You remember that story? When Jesus was, being a, was going to heaven, he was ascending to heaven. And he gave these simple instructions to his disciples. Go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. What did they do? They didn't wait. They moved out. We got to pick a 12th disciple. We got to get out there. All that. They didn't wait. How many of us are like that? I know I am at times. I think God needs a little kick here. Come on, God, let's get things started kind of thing. 
Let me just act on this. When here, the best response we can do is wait and worship. I love how one theologian, J.I. Packer, frames this. He says this, wait on the Lord is a constant refrain in the Psalms. It is. Wait for God to do his thing. And it is necessary word, for God often keeps us waiting. God, when are you going to come? God, when are you going to answer my prayers for this? God, when are you going to answer my prayers for that? God, I've been praying these prayers for years now, and you have not responded. He is not in such a hurry as we are, and it is not his way to give more light on the future than we need for action in the present, or to guide us more than one step at a time. Here's the thing I think is really good. When in doubt, he writes, do nothing. Let me say that again. When in doubt, do nothing. Wait. But continue to wait on God. When action is needed, light will come. When action is needed, light will come. So church, until that day comes when Jesus redeems, fully redeems, everything that David wrote at the beginning here, when he restores what has been wronged, when he restores what has been broken, when he once again doles out his justice, when he redeems his people and the world that he made, what we do in that time, church, a big thing we can do is we wait and we worship. We wait and we worship. We wait and we worship. That's what we can do. So we're going to sing one more song. We're going to worship. And I hope that as we do so, that we would once again be immersed in his word. That we be reminded once again that God knows us and he still loves us. And in light of all that, that we'll wait. God, we know you're good. God, we know you're in charge. God, we know that this is your world and we are your people. God, we know that things are not as they should be. We know that one day you will come and you will restore it all, the Garden of Eden, once again. And until that day happens, I will wait and worship. I will wait and worship. I will wait and worship. Amen? Well, let's worship, church. Let's worship. Let's stand and do that right now.